Yeah, that's awesome. We're going to be in uh, 1 Kings, if you'll turn to chapter 18. We'll get going. See if I can shorten this up a bit. There is a renowned speaker, spiritual giant, and he was one who from England would voice his opinions radically with language. They were challenges at that time to his culture, and he would make quips that probably could rival any in terms of intellectual thought that was intended as well to penetrate the heart, to put a jog on the mind and an adjustment in men and women, who at that time, from my perspective and my readings, he would have seen just as necessary to challenge regarding turning the heart to God and turning one's life over inside and out for the purposes of God. G.K. Chesterton is his name, familiarly quoted, and I can see why. But as I was reviewing one of those, I found this to be really apropos to where we are in this account. A quote, just one of many. Right is right, even if nobody does it. Second point. Wrong is wrong, even if everybody is wrong about it. Cool phrase there. But we've got a generation, and we are in a study, in which all of Israel, Judah as well, has gone astray from the tenets of their faith, from the belief in the living God. They've lived in compromise and justification and the Lord has been now in a season of correcting them. Elijah is the prophet on the scene. He probably wasn't as clever with the language that Chesterton is, but he was very powerful in the sincerity with which it was delivered and made no apologies for it. And so as we knew from last week, there was a drought imposed upon what for them would have been the known world. We're not told that it was global, but for Israel, it might as well have been. And in this area of scripture right now, when Elijah has delivered that message, there have been right now the passage of about three years. Elijah, remember, in chronology, is about a 27-year-old when he delivers that message. If three years have passed, he's now rocking the 30s. And he's got a little bit longer. His ministry will be about 22 years. He'll be about a 47-year-old when he gets to be taken up in a fiery chariot. Just some short review. We don't see necessarily images of that reflected, but life was harder then, and it had its effect even on men of youth. One of the things that we will see here is that both in his delivery of strong messages, he also, even in this, is a promoter of God's grace 
and forgiveness. All God asks for is that we respond to his grace, that we are those who by reason and demonstration of repentance turn towards him and to worship him. For idolatry had defiled the land. It had polluted the person of God. And no one was able to make right sense out of what culture and religion had erred in saying, it's all good. We're doing fine. God had a difference of opinion on that. So chapter 18 is where we'll pick up this segue from last week. He's now going to be delivering a message to Ahab after three years. And we have no evidence that after the first warning, there was any additional thing except to watch the effect of what happens when God shuts up the heavens and a drought ensued. And it would be, in this case, a terminal drought, both for animals that provide food and industry in terms of what would have been the areas of both sacrifice for the temple services that would still be endeavoring to be connecting with God, the industry of clothing through pelts, and fur. It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So before the rain comes, the messenger of that drought needs to make an appearance. The appearance is necessary because it validates that in what he had said did come to pass, Ahab, what are you going to do about it? And so there's going to be a contest right now that we see coming in which God is going to prove that he is God and Baal is not. Baal, culturally, to the pagans, non-believers, was the one who governed the weather system. He would have been their version of Thor. Archaeology has found evidence that he was seen as one that held lightning bolts. So paganism makes up their gods, and paganism dresses their gods as they desire to be exalted. Not the gods, because they don't exist, but as people desire their gods to be exalted, they create gods in their own image, rather than looking to the God in whose image we were created. So Elijah receives this word, and how does he receive it? We know that there is an audible voicing that God seems to connect with his prophets. They're not casting dice. They're not looking at tea leaves. Their heart is full. The spirit is strong. I believe that every believer ought to be able to say, I hear the voice of God. I cannot deny his voice. 
Oh, I've ignored it, but I cannot deny it. He speaks to me. I had a brother who for years now, probably five, has been faithfully distributing a devotional word to me through scriptures. And I always thank him. There are two brothers, pastors that do this. One's up in Portland that I'm referring to. And normally my salutation beckons from him another encouragement. Today it simply said, I need prayer. Would you pray for me? I am being tried and tested. The enemy is working strongly to discourage me. And I was so surprised that as one who delivered such encouragement weekly to my texting, and usually another encouragement of me after I returned the text, he said, would you pray? And I said, absolutely, I will do that. And so I prayed contextually by text. And I gave him a prophecy of encouragement, which I believe that was for him at that time in what we may perceive as a spiritual drought. You see, this is a physical drought. It's affecting commerce and people's lives. God knows it. He's aware that unless there is a turn, then people will be turning to dust. It's what happens in the consequence of living, and in particular times that justify wrong, as G.K. Chesterton was so aptly able to put it, just wrong, 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 and acceptation of it. And so for this brother to realize that as he's still giving out, there was just a hint of feeling as though he was giving up. Relatability to this prophet, powerful and strong. Nevertheless, this is what it tells us. There will be rain. He's got to meet with Ahab, despicable Ahab. Ahab is in a lineage of basically sinister and evil kings right now over Israel. There has been approximately 57 years that have transpired since Solomon. Just continue to point it out so you see where it is they're at, where it is we're at. Back it up. About that time frame and the presidents that we've had, it puts you at Lyndon B. Johnson's presidency. He took over after being vice president when President Kennedy was assassinated. He didn't have a great tenure. And it's interesting just to let you know that he was the first senator that drafted a law that prevented the church from speaking during political times against candidates running for president. Don't know if you knew that. A church could be threatened to lose its exempt status if they spoke during an election year against any candidate. So guess what? If you're a pastor and you're teaching from the word and you're addressing ethical and moral behaviors, if you know the bent or passions that a candidate 
would have and very likely used to influence their presidency, you could not speak against them. And so there were churches that were shuttered, pastors that were persecuted in this, in this country. And that was removed under our former president. Said, that's nonsense. Pastors need to be able to speak to their congregants freely. And it's a part of our constitutional rights. How can babblers that oversee media and newspapers say whatever they want that commends culture for perversity, that makes allowances for transgressions, that do not honor God, that demeans the work of God in the church, blaspheming the name of God, that's okay. But when we talk honestly about presidential candidates and senators and representatives, that's a strike against us. So one of the things that you need to know is that even Ahab dealt with the liberal mindset. There's nothing wrong with that word. God has given us liberty, but he does not expect us to be liberal with regard to what we do and how we do it. Ahab is going to present or be presented face to face with this messenger of God. Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. Samaria is simply identifying the place that was Ahab's capital. For him, he's feeling it probably as much, if not worse, than those whom he is governmentally presiding over. Ahab called Obadiah, not the prophet, but a man who's going to be used prophetically, just like you guys. Some would say, I'm not a prophet. You'd be surprised. The words that God will bring from your heart, through your mouth, to speak the oracles of God, a verse that you didn't know you had tucked in your heart that comes out on your lips into somebody's ears, encouragement. Everyone has that ability. Obadiah is one. He's a governor of Ahab's house. And we will find something that describes him, which is interesting because if he's one who loves God, he's in a godless house. Talk about tension. Have you found yourself in vocation in which whom you are working with and serving under godless and you love God with all your heart? It creates tension. He was in charge of his house. And then notice verse 3 says, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Not fearing, per se, of the consequence of what God seems to be getting the blame for, but one who reveres God, reveres God with a whole heart to love him where he's at, in the difficulty of serving a godless king who's married to a wicked wife. And there he is. Don't be surprised if God places you in the most despicable of places because you're strong. You're influential. You fear the Lord. You're willing to know how to separate the individual under the influence of sin, 
broken personality. You're able to separate them by what you know very likely God is able to change in them, just like he changed things in our life. Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Verse 4, For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. This is what he did, moonlighting. <laughs> Moonlighting is a term. I didn't say moonshining. I said moonlighting. It describes people that work secondary and third jobs in order to make it. Well, he's not working a secondary or third job to make it financially. He's doing it to serve the Lord faithfully. Hiding 50. Notice this recognized prophets of God. I thought there was only one. Elijah is the key figure of the voice of God, but it means that God had for himself others that even Elijah was not yet made aware of. Something important to note here that just like that, we can feel that we're the only ones. It's not an unusual feeling. It actually for us seems like that. But God always has a remnant that we're not privileged to see unless we come to church and then we get to see them. Then we get to know they're on dispatch from God and they've come here to hear the word of the Lord for God. And so this is actually a commendation in scripture to this man who serves a carnal king and his wicked wife but he fears God, loves the Lord, and with his faith will save them. It's indicative that some were lost, some will be. When you take up your cross and follow the Lord, it at times comes with a cost. It does mean life can be exhausted through basic treachery, depleted, by someone's despicable deeds. Missionaries are ones that get very often that assignment. Not all. I was a missionary, and the most I had to fear was changing a diaper. That was it. But it was a sincere calling, and I went obediently. This man would have had reason to say, <laughs> I can't do this. It's totally against whom I serve. But at times, whom you serve, which is the Lord, needs to be reckoned with whom also oversees you and vocation. And there was no one more beautifully disposed to be able to give the words of God as God, among people who should have known God and didn't, and those who were to represent the Lord and completely failed miserably. Jesus was that example. His disciples were that example. We are that living example. Jezebel proving to be a murderous scoundrel was a motivation for what this man ultimately would do.
It technically meant he could have been fired. It technically meant he could have been summoned for execution. Feeding them with bread and water, verse 5, Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land to all the springs of water, to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So livestock are living. Many have died. The food isn't coming in because they're looking to see evidence of any grain anywhere. And notice, after what he has done, he's still asked to serve. So what he may have feared, God is not allowing that to be the scenario. And that's good. He goes right on to being asked to do what this king is asked to do. And there's nothing wrong with what he's being asked to do. Had he been summoned into the court and stood before Ahab and Jezebel, and he would have been assigned to make sure that the executions took place at such and such a time, and for so many of God's prophets, we would have seen altogether a different resolution. And that is, you'll have to take me too. I don't do that. I fear God. And with my life, you need to hear this. You must fear him or you will die in sin and trespass. And so these 50 being saved in one cave, these 50 being saved in another cave, he's now on dispatch to take a look and see if there's anything that remains of food possibly that could show them one more day to survive, to keep the livestock from having to be killed. In essence, if they ate one more stock of grain, then there would be nothing left. And of course, it would be more than a stock of grain. But you multiply that towards any of the cattle that remained, they needed to say, we've got to see what's available. So they divided the land between them to explore. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And verse 7 says, Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him, and he fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord, Elijah? See, he had known the prophets, and no doubt while he had both secured their safety and their feeding, he had heard them speak of Elijah. Elijah would have been a prominent voice. They had already heard with regard to the first word, which was the Drought would start after being secluded away. The miracle of delivering to this broken widow without means, supply that would endear her house and save her son. That son shortly thereafter taken, his life exhausted, some kind of affliction And Elijah, calling upon God three times, raised him from the dead. He's got a reputation that what he says comes to pass. This prophet falls down upon his face. He didn't have publications to go on, but it doesn't say that he may not have seen him at a distance or even within proximity. 
if he was governor and he was by the side of Ahab, he may have had direct eye contact. And that eye contact with him, probably very similar to the contact that we have with our spiritual eyes for God. We just don't forget the way that he looked at us. We just don't forget the words that he's spoken to us in the scriptures. We are able to say with reverence, Lord, I fall down before you. And so in doing so and identifying Elijah that there might not be confusion, verse 9 says, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? So he got that wrong. Which we can't. That doesn't make him bad. It just shows us that we can get things wrong even when we face off with spiritual people. All he was operating on is, it's you. You're going to say something. You're going to have a request, perhaps, of me. But notice this, verse 10. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. He's giving a report that a report that ultimately there's a wanted poster out on every palm tree. Elijah, dead or alive, get him. And he's sharing that. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. So every place that Ahab had heard that possibly Elijah had been, and every nation represented by someone of an official status or community, whatever involvement would shrug their shoulders, he's not there. And so before they would leave, basically it was a pledge, you need to be right on this. If you're wrong, we'll come back and raise your city. We'll take your family. We'll kill you. That's in essence what's going on here. And it invokes fear. It's a fear of terror. We would call those people terrorists. They strike fear into the heart of men. What do I say now? What do I do now in this moment? And so when these oaths are given, it's their pledge. We're not lying to you. And if we see him, we'll get back to you. We'll take him. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you, that the spirit of the Lord will carry you. This is a prophet who is able to discern wisely that God has everything to do with Elijah's movement. And it's one of the things that we also need to have a confidence in, that God has everything to do with our movement. Why did my car break down there? Why did things change on where I must go now? God has everything to do with movement. How did I find myself in this moment? It's because God's in charge of the movement. The movement is as much of God in your life as believers, as the moment. Moment and movements. Sometimes we don't like them. As Chrissy was referring to that title 
We go, I don't dance on battlefields. I don't. I wear helmets. I don't try to draw attention to myself. I'm not even good at square dancing. How do you expect me to pull out a Celtic move? Disco's dead. I don't dance on battlefields. But we do all together in our situations change our disposition. And our movements are ordained as our moments. And moments will have the requirement of how these feet are to take us. And so he's come up with reasoning right now. But the other thing too, and it would be also a confirming word to Elijah. That's right. The Lord moves me. I'm flexible in my faith. I'm targeted for God's will. I accomplish what he's asked me to do. That's right. It is the spirit. I'm getting a reputation right now. But yes, thank you for reminding me. It is the spirit that moves me. It is him. The Lord knows my heart. He knows my temperament. James would tell us a temperament much like us, a disposition. You don't have a perfect temperament or disposition. Neither did he. It's the Lord taking possession of me. I'm possessed by him. I'm his own. So I like that even in this. This prophet, in essence he is, speaking an oracle to Elijah, says the Lord. He moves you. He takes you away. If those guys rejoice in a thunderbolt from Baal, a false god that actually does not, how much more encouragement can I obtain seeing you face to face, even being asked to do a difficult thing, knowing that you're moved by the Spirit of God and what you have asked me to do is a move of God to take me where I do not want to go, but where I must. He's going to kill me, but I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Verse 13 was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. He will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of us lives, before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. You'll do it. And I'll do it. We'll do it together. And so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Encouragement in just two verses. You're going to do it. I'm going to do it. We're doing it together. We'll see the outcome of this as we unify. Unity and perfection, when there's so much that is imperfect, is a wonderful thing when the body is in harmony with one another. It's an amazing thing. Oh wait, that's right, it's of the spirit. It's everything that we sang about today. It's everything that we're seeing translated to us in the now. How can we find so much encouragement by going way back in the Bible? because it's the living word of God and it applies to us today.
So Obadiah went to meet Ahab, told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. He wasn't killed. In essence, he would satisfy the requirement of a greater prophet while also being exercised as a prophet to encourage Elijah to the spirit. And he would live because he's obeying God in this central command to go and tell a sinister, evil guy that there needs to be a council meeting with God. It happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals, now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. He's doing math for Ahab. I know whom your wife has allegiance with, and I know whom you have, and you are both right now being forewarned. There's a showdown. In application to where we can find ourselves in principle, which I'll refer to again in another upcoming study from this section, but really needs to be also voiced now. It says this in times that are troubling. It says this to our hearts. We have a responsibility. 1 Thessalonians 5 reminds us of this. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Verse 27, I charge you by the Lord, that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. Notice this closing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Well, I think I have quenched the spirit. I think I've despised prophetic utterance. I don't know if I've held fast at all to what is good. I have trouble from abstaining. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.